Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope everyone had a great holiday. Finally, no snow. What a miracle, because we did just two days ago in Pittsburgh, we did have snow, but it looks as if finally we may be moving, you know, as I said, maybe, maybe, that's why it's so great if I could be a weather person, because then I could say may, chance of, and never be wrong, That, that would be it, so I will say we may not, maybe, may not, we're not sure, but It's a great day, isn't it? It's always a great day. You know, um, I want to start by talking about our listeners. Now, we have listeners in 17 countries. Japan, and I'm on my way there with the U.S. State Department, Sunday, you are awesome. I saw the data, and only one country is bigger and that's my good friends in Ireland but you're really coming up on Ireland I just want to tell you I can't wait to come can't wait to see all of you so that we can see disability employment become front and center I then want to want to thank our lead sponsor Highmark what a great great company they are and they have been the lead sponsor of this show for the past several years, and I so appreciate what they do. And AudioEye, thank you for being a sponsor of the show also. And last but not least, Yoshiko Dart, sending out a special greeting. And Yoshiko, I'll be thinking about you when I'm in Japan. And of course, Yoshiko is the wife of the late, great Justin Dart. Uh, So Yoshiko... I'll be thinking about you the whole time I'm there. Well, I'm excited about this show today. I'm going to tell you why. I not only have a superstar, rock star, I have a friend, a friend I've had for a long time that you know what? The entire time I've known him has been an advocate for the employment of people with disabilities. And in addition to all that, He is a veteran, and you know how I love veterans that have served this country. Welcome to the show, Vice President of Workforce Strategies and Chief Diversity Officer for CVS Health, David Casey. Thank you so much, Joyce, for having me on your show. And and wow, you know, I appreciate that introduction, but I'll tell you what, it's just been an honor and a blessing for me to get to know you as a friend and a professional colleague over all these years. And all I'm trying to do is keep up with you. So, I mean, you are the consummate champion for people with disabilities. So, uh, you know, I'm just honored to know you. And uh, again, thank you for having me on the show today. Well, it is my pleasure. So, David, how, look at this, Chief Diversity Officer, how and why did you first become involved in the field of diversity? Joyce, I don't know. <laughs> you know By the I way, he's this... also very honest, as you will notice right there. 
my gosh. I'll tell you, when I got into this work uh, almost two decades ago now, chief diversity officer was just not really a thing uh, in many companies. There were a number of larger companies that had CDOs, but, um, you know, I worked in the employment branding industry for an ad agency, and I had a client who called me up one day and said, hey, look, we're thinking about starting up a diversity program here. Would you be interested? And, um, you know, Joyce, when I was doing employment and branding campaigns for companies to position themselves as an employer of choice, we always included some element of making sure they understood all the demographics of uh, the workforce they were trying to attain. But we weren't using the word diversity back then. We weren't talking about diversity programs. It was just a part of our strategy. So um, I looked into it, and it was a great company, uh, my former company, uh, Anthem. And uh, my mom had retired from the company. I have a sister who's retired from there and many other relatives who work there or have worked there. So, you know, I I trusted him, and it looked like a great opportunity. So I I took it on and spent eight years there as their uh, chief diversity officer. And now I've been with CVS Health as their chief diversity officer for, for eight years. Well, they're lucky. They're lucky to have you, David Casey. And, you know, when you were just talking about this word was not even in vogue or used during, you know, not that long ago. Of course, mm-hmm. being that I'm older compared to you, <laughs> young whippersnapper that you are, um, you know, I grew up, I first was in executive search. I remember when companies would be calling me HR because I was doing search for IT and they would say, hey, if you can find a minority, Okay, this is an effort we have right now to try to bring in minorities. And even back then, I think, you know what? How ashamed you should be, because then what do you think they would say? Well, we wanted to hire a minority, but we couldn't find one. Yeah. Guess what? Now it's disability. Now they say, we'd love to hire someone, but we can't find them, which is unbelievable since there are over 54 million Americans with disabilities, you know, one in six uh, people with a disability. But it's that same thing they used to say about people of color. And a good friend of mine, I don't know if you remember um, the former Way back, he worked Thai, he worked with uh, Highmark, and he used to say to me, you know what, Joyce, why are we the only two groups that people have to add that word qualified? I'll hire, you know, hire a minority if they're qualified. I'll hire a person with a disability if they're qualified. And when they say that, and I have to bite my tongue, of course, what I want to say is, Thanks for telling me that, Captain Obvious. You know, yeah. I was going to send you an unqualified person. You know, <laughs> I, I just can't believe people say that, but they do yeah. still say that. So I know you know that's true, what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Joyce. And I'll tell you what, I, I think one of the biggest nuts that we still have to crack in this diversity space, and even more so with people with disabilities, as you mentioned, is understanding or being real with ourselves about what qualifications are. You know, so many times we want people who have been there and done that, but if, uh, you know, the the groups of people that we're talking about have been historically left out. So if our definition of uh, success is someone who has been there and done that, as opposed to 
someone who has the capability or ability, not necessarily just having done the exact job in the past, where I think we're going to have a difficulty, a difficult time really breaking through the, the same cyclical conversations, Joyce. So, you know, I'm with you wholeheartedly. You know, when people say qualified, what they mean is I need somebody who's done this job before, but you're missing out on a whole group of people who have been historically disenfranchised who are fully capable and able of doing the job if you'd only take the time to assess that. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. I'm with you on that. Well, hey, David, now you're with CVS, and wow, you are a big company. You're a very big (laughs) company. So um, let's talk about CVS. You know, what is the size? What is the mission? Uh, and what all encompasses your role as Chief Diversity Officer? Well, sure, and I'm I'm so happy to be with this company, uh, Joyce. We uh, did some work back in 2014, rather, to rebrand ourselves, and, and at that time we declared our purpose statement. And when you work for a company that's purpose-driven and every single thing we do is done through the lens of being driven by that purpose, it, it's so impactful and powerful. And our purpose is, quite frankly and quite simply, to help people on their path to better health. So we're a Fortune 7 company, a pharmacy innovation company. Most people probably will think of CVS uh, as one of our 9,800-plus retail locations. Uh, we also have 1,100 retail clinic locations. But we're even so much more than that that most uh, folks probably don't think about CVS health uh, when they, they don't think of when they think about us. Uh, you know, we also have um, infusion services. We have a long-term care pharmacy services. Uh, we have medical uh, uh, claims editing. We have clinical programs, specialty pharmacy, a pharmacy benefits management business unit. So there's a lot more to CVS Health than the 9,800-plus uh, retail pharmacy locations that folks probably see on the corner. Uh, but that is a big part of our brand. We have about 246,000 employees. And as I mentioned, we're currently uh, for, uh, Fortune 7. So, you know, I, I don't know for the best kept street secret anymore as far as being uh, that big of a company. But for many years, uh, most people had no idea that we had that many assets underneath our umbrella. Wow. Wow. You're really big. You are number seven. What about that? Well, I mean, I, I just applaud you for the work that you're doing Uh, supporting different initiatives, one of which is the USBLN, the United States Mm. Business Leadership Network. So, David, what is that? What is the USBLN? For our listeners, I know, and other people have talked about it, but every show there are new listeners, including around the world. So if you don't mind explaining it. Sure. So the USBLN, quite frankly, is, in a word, phenomenal. <laughs> By, uh, you, and you and I both have a long history of working with the organization. They are fantastic. But USBLN stands for, is short for, the U.S. Business Leadership Network. And uh, currently, I think they have about 130 corporate partners. But they're a national nonprofit that helps businesses drive their own performance by leveraging disability inclusion in three areas. They look at the workplace, the supply chain, and the marketplace. And really, the way USBN goes about doing that is uh, around in five different ways. In one way, they act as a trusted advisor. Uh, they act as a trusted advisor, um, and and we through benchmarking through the DEI. 
and I believe we'll talk more about the DEI a little bit later, but that's a joint initiative with the American Association of People with Disabilities and really provides for a uh, robust set of benchmarking against other corporate best practices. There's a program called Going for the Gold, uh, which gives corporate partners access to subject matter experts at USBLN to help them uh, not only understand where they are with serving the disabilities community, but how to get better uh, and not maintain the status quo. Um, they also give uh, uh, folks access to a quality pool of diverse suppliers through the Disability Supplier Diversity Program. And I believe that the certification through USBLN for uh, uh, disability suppliers um, is, quite frankly, the best in the country. It's a premier certification. And they certify uh, Dobie's disability-owned business enterprises and then also service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. Um, there's also the USBLN Rising Leaders Program, and, oh, my gosh, if you want to talk about a talented group of young people, you really need to get exposed to and motivating young people, get exposed to some of this up-and-coming talent in the Rising Leaders Program. And last but not least, uh, Joyce, as you know, and uh, I want to share, make sure our listeners know that USBLN members do impact public policy related to serving uh, people with disabilities. So as a member and as a partner of USBLN, your organization can also serve to have a voice and how uh, public policy is shaped to support the disabilities community. Wow, so many great programs. So, and you know what? And you're right. It is. It's just phenomenal. I just love the USB online. Um, and David, you've been involved uh, with the USB online. And why do you think it's important for other companies? You know, I. What is your role? Are you on the board or are you on the committee for the DEI? All of the above. I'll tell you what, when you work with Jill Houghton, you cannot say no. So <laughs> I, 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 try to do it. I try to do everything that she's asked me to do. And Jill Houghton is the CEO of USBLN for our listeners who may not be aware. But, um, see, I've been a board member of USBLN since June of 2014. And then I've also been a co-chair of the Disability Equality Index, or the DEI, since October of 2014, and I have the honor of serving as the co-chair of that group with Helena Berger, who is the CEO of the American Association of People, People with Disabilities. So, uh, so, yeah, I've been a board member and a co-chair of the DEI since 2014. Well, you know, once again, as I said before, lucky for all of us. But being a board member, uh, a board director, how about if you talk to our listeners on the phone and tell other businesses why you feel the USBLN is an important organization to become a member of? I'll tell you what, you know, again, you think about the 130 corporations that have already decided to partner with USBN, USBLN, they're certainly seeing the benefits. You know, for the USBLN, they, they do a phenomenal job of engaging and bringing together the voices from the corporate or business community and also the advocacy community. So USBLN works very close with corporations to help them figure out how to get better at serving the disabilities community, but they don't only have the voices of those businesses around the table. You know, uh, I'll share with you the um, DEI advisory committee, for example, is made up of a group of passionate, you know, corporate and business leaders, and then also a group of very passionate members of the advocacy community. And the two are not mutually exclusive, uh, by the way. So I, I think there, is, there are some distinctions 
we try to draw just so we kind of know where people are coming from. But uh, there are many corporate and business leaders who also are members of the advocacy community. But I'll tell you the power in that, uh, Joyce, is that there, you, you are bringing these diverse perspectives to the table, which ultimately uh, results in a much better product. Sometimes, you know, the business community will, will see things a little bit differently than the advocacy community and vice versa. So having us all at the table where we can challenge each other and not just say, well, that, that, may, that may be the way you've always done it, so that's the way we always need to do it. Having us sitting at that table, and, and we have some passionate conversations, I would tell you I love this group because, you know, you can't put anything out there without being open to having it be challenged by somebody who has a different perspective. And I think that USBLN and the DEI and all the other programs and services that they offer are much better for that. So I think a company stands to benefit by being exposed to an organization of subject matter experts and a group of uh, their corporate and business peers uh, to understand what those best practices are and, uh, and benchmarks are and also have the voice of the advocacy community who ultimately we're trying to serve at the end of the day. Yes, and you know, just as you said with all the benefits, I have companies say to me all the time, hey, Joyce, what do we need to do to be considered disability friendly? Well, here's an, mm-hmm. here's, here's an easy answer. The Disability yeah. Equality Index and the USB online, because, you know, that does say something. That says something to families of people with disabilities, people with disabilities, other organizations that work with people with disabilities. I mean, it really makes a statement. And I'll tell you, I've been to these uh, receptions, you know, where they announce uh, the uh, scores. I hate to use the word scores, but, you know, the the number you've achieved. I'll say that. Um, And I can't believe how competitive they get. I mean, these are like, these are fortune, uh, you know, 10, 50, 100, 500 corporations, and they really get competitive about why didn't we get 100? I mean, here I am, I'm not even involved in this. And I had some, a company call me, Hey Joyce, why didn't we, uh, get 100? We were only at 80. I said, first of all, that's not me, you know? I'm not, I'm not on that committee, but I'm glad my answer was, I'm glad you care. I'm glad you care, but I'm not kidding you. When I tell you people are competitive about this and I mean, it it is really like a good housekeeping seal of approval when you have that, uh, done well with the DEI. And the other thing I like is what you said earlier, David, it's not about charity. In other words, you're not Mm. going to achieve this goal without doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, you've got to follow through with uh, all those questions and complete everything um, or it's not going to go. It's not going to be that you call and say, you know, I want this. Oh, well, with that, hey, everyone, before we go to break today, as you know, every half hour Every show, news break. It's our news break. News break on advocacy. Advocacy matters. And every show at this time, and tell everyone you know, the executive director of the Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania that I'm so proud to be on the board 
is going to give us an update on what's going on in policy. Um, and isn't that great that we have that? Perry Jude Radisic, are you on the line? Hey, Joyce, I'm right here, and thank you so much, and we're so glad to have you part of Disability Rights Pennsylvania. Oh, well, I'm so, you know, I feel this is important because companies want to know what's going on uh, nationally in the government, but people with disabilities want to know what's going on nationally. So, uh, Perry, Jude, why don't you give us an update? Sure. Well, Joyce, today advocacy is front and center in Maine as people with disabilities, along with our allies, are rallying at the state capitol in Augusta to demand that Governor LePage take the first step in implementing a voter-approved initiative in November that expanded Medicaid in their state. So far, Maine's governor has failed to act to apply for Medicaid expansion that the voters approved back in November. So today is also the first of a series of deadlines for Maine to file those plans and applications with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Maine's governor has been opposed to Medicaid expansion. 59% of the voters approved expansion in that vote in November, and approximately 70,000 vote-to-lower-income individuals could benefit and receive those Medicaid expansion benefits. The dispute choice now centers over state funding. There are 17 states that have not expanded Medicaid. While many with disabilities receive services under what we know as the waiver programs in Medicaid, many others don't qualify for these waiver programs. So our community has relied on Medicaid expansion or private health insurance to receive health and mental health care services, depending on job status and income. Here in Pennsylvania, we are one of the 33 states that did expand Medicaid. The number of individuals enrolled in our Medicaid expansion continues to increase. As of just March 23rd, nearly 719,000 people receive health and mental health care services under Pennsylvania's Medicaid expansion. As a result, Pennsylvania's uninsured rate dropped from 10.2% to 6.4%. Additionally, yeah, right? From 10.2 to 6.4%. And 124,000 individuals are now accessing drug and alcohol treatment under our expansion. So, Joyce, advocacy matters, and it mattered when 33 states expanded Medicaid, and it matters in Maine today. So that's my update for today, Joyce. Oh, thank you so much. And I want you to know there are people uh, that are outraged that I know personally on both sides of the aisle. So, you know, people don't know what it's suddenly like to not have benefits. So um, health care matters. Advocacy matters. Perry, if they want to go to your website just to follow what's going on, what is that website? Sure. Our website is uh, disabilityrightspa.org. So that's disabilityrights, 
pa.org, and we're working on uh, getting an Advocacy Matters page set up so that they can follow links to your uh, Disability Matters uh, radio show, and then we'll have links soon set up so they can follow what's happening in Maine. Oh, that is awesome. So, you know, I can't hang up without saying this is a group, people with disabilities, we all want someone fighting. The, it's civil rights. It's all about civil rights. Uh, if you get a chance, make a donation today. One more time. What's that website? Thank you, Joyce. It's disabilityrightspa.org. Okay, thank you so much. And Perry Jude, thank you for calling, and we will be having her on the show uh, every week. Okay, have a great day, Perry. And with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to the one and only superstar, David Casey, the Vice President of Workforce Strategies and Chief Diversity Officer at CVS Health. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with David. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Podstars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey everyone, welcome back. If you just joined us, we're talking to David Casey, the Vice President of Workforce Strategies and Chief Diversity Officer for CVS Health. And you know what? Uh, before we go any further, I've got to tell you, I've heard David speak, and he is phenomenal, motivational. I'm just curious, David, if someone would ever want you to speak at a conference or whatever, how would they reach you? 
Well, I, I do have a Monday job at CVS Health, but the company has been very supportive of me also going out and speaking on matters related to diversity, uh, which I'm very, very appreciative of. So I'll be more than happy to talk to any organization about doing that. Uh, feel free to go out and look me up on davidcaseydiversity.com. There's information out there around how you can uh, contact me, uh, what I, the topics I typically speak on, and um, again, would we'll be more than happy to uh, engage you and possibly coming out to speak on any number of diversity topics. So thank you for that, Joyce. Yeah, and he didn't ask me to say that, just so you all know. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I endorse this. I endorse it. So if you're wondering, hey, he's really good. Actually, I have two companies I'm going to be talking to this about. You know why? We need people that are genuine. We need people that are authentic. We need people that are care, care and a veteran. How much more fabulous could it be than that? So uh, don't forget no, about that. Well, don't forget about that with uh, with Davey. David. Now, you know, you already talked about the DEI, but you mentioned something earlier that, of course, is very near and dear to my heart, and that is the disability-owned business enterprises, often mm -hmm. referred to as the Dobies, certified by the USBLN. Um, let's talk about that, David. How powerful do you think that is? How important do you think that is? I think it's incredibly powerful, Joyce. I mean, you know, one in 10 small businesses or medium-sized businesses uh, are owned by people with disabilities. So, you know, you think about, and you mentioned earlier, one in five, one in six roughly Americans have a disability there are so many companies out there that just want an opportunity. I, I love one of your, I love one of the Joyceisms that you throw out there, and I'm going to use probably several Joyceisms during our conversation today. And one Joyceism that you have is no pity, just paychecks. And what a, a, a number of disability-owned companies want is just access to contract opportunities, and that's what certification through the USBLN gets for you. It gives you access, and it, it provides a third-party assurance to private sector partners that these firms meet the criteria established for ownership, uh, management, and control. So it provides access to Fortune 500 and 1,000 corporate decision makers. These are people who can write the contracts. Uh, I know every time we talk about this topic, you always finish with, you know, the statement of, you know, sign the contract. <laughs> you know, it's enough to express, you know, uh, support and commitment, but you got to sign the contract at the end of the day. So, you know, people with disabilities are nearly twice as likely to be self-employed as people without disabilities. And as I mentioned, nearly one in ten small businesses uh, across the country are, are veteran-owned as well. So the inclusion of uh, disability-owned companies uh, through a USBLN certification is going to present more opportunities for disability. Uh, you think about the inclusion uh, into the billion-dollar roundtable, which just recently happened. That's huge. Now the billion-dollar roundtable, for those who aren't familiar so that's a, a group of about 26, 27 companies that have all achieved a $1 billion spend with diverse-owned suppliers, which includes the disability community. Think about that, $1 billion of spend with diverse suppliers. And US, uh, the billion-dollar roundtable now recognizes the USBLN disability certification. So that, that's just a phenomenal opportunity for access um, to, to economic stability and economic independence for these business owners. Right. And, you know, I was one of the first certified. I'm so proud of that. I tell everyone that. But 
to other people listening who are uh, disability, own business, may have a small business, and you may be thinking, how the heck can I get noticed? I don't have the funds to do national mm -hmm. advertising. That's why you need to go to this USBLN conference. You need to go to that USBLN conference because, just as David said, you're going to meet so many uh, people in supplier diversity. And they even have a matchmaker event where they have people that are disability-owned business enterprise meeting with suppliers. Now, if you want to know how do I do that? How, how, how could I make this happen? Here's how. Get in touch with the USBLN. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's so wonderful. And the more people that do this, the more jobs there will be out there for other people with disabilities. July 9th through the 12th, the USBLN conference is in Las Vegas at the Cosmopolitan. The 9th through the 12th. I think you can still attend. You're wondering why the I heck would so. you say that? I believe so, Joyce. I, I think you can still register. They're getting pretty close to being sold out. I know we sold out last year, so uh, time is of the essence if you have an interest in attending. I mean, isn't that amazing? Uh, as David knows, it was only two years ago they had to turn people away. And last year they had to uh, rapidly go find more tables. I, I mean, it is amazing. And people love this conference. They absolutely love it. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, if you want to go, register now. Register now before it is sold out. And isn't that great, David, to be able to say that? Oh, absolutely. That's, that is a fantastic problem to have. I think Jill would agree with that. <laughs> I think, and by the way, she too is a real star. Jill Houghton has just done such a great job with the USBLN. Though, just as David described her, which is hard to say no to Jill. And she's going to grab all the talent she can which is, of course, people like David Casey. So, David, as I said earlier, thank you for your service to our countries. As I know you know, because veterans are so connected to other veterans, there are so many veterans with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder who are unemployed, who companies are afraid too higher that will say yeah. things like, it's not me now, it's not me, but other people in the company, they're worried, you know, about what happens if they do something violent, which one of the things I always tell people, and you think they're not working here right now, already working here, right. it's just you don't know it, they're not telling you, right. but uh, David, what is your message to businesses uh, listening to this show coming from a veteran? You know, a couple things about that, Joyce, and, and you already touched upon, you know, a part of it. There's just so much of a stigma around post-traumatic stress. And, you know, I, I did some work a couple of years ago with uh, Dr. Richard Pimentel and Milt Wright, who's one of his associates. You may have heard uh, Rich speak, but he's a Vietnam veteran, and he's got a, just a fantastic story. And He's on a mission uh, to take the D out of PTSD, and, and what he means by that is, you know, when you think about what causes, what triggers 
what accounts for post-traumatic stress, it's not even really a disorder. I mean, who would not be impacted by the things that do trigger, that, that do trigger post-traumatic stress in individuals? And Joyce, you, you touched upon it. You have people more than likely, especially if you're a larger organization, you have people working uh, for you already who have post-traumatic stress. And guess what? They're not all veterans. Now, veterans, certainly because of, you know, being in combat and being in some of the situations veterans serve in, are going to be disproportionately impacted by post-traumatic stress. But, you know, people who, who live in, you know, crime-infested uh, neighborhoods, you know, uh, individuals who have been raped or victims of mugging, I mean, there are any number of people who may be triggered by and impacted by post-traumatic stress. So putting that stigma on it as something that only veterans deal with or something that um, would somehow or the other, uh, 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 you know, eliminate people from being able to participate fully in the workplace is absolutely absurd. You know, so when you, I think one of the things that employers can do is take just a few minutes to educate themselves about what PTS is and how it impacts individuals. I mean, from a veteran's perspective, you know, almost 31% of Vietnam veterans are, are living with post-traumatic stress and, 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 and the, the results of that. As many as 10% of uh, Gulf War Desert Storm veterans, uh, which I was honored to serve in, in Desert Storm, about 11% of veterans in the war uh, in Afghanistan, and about 20% of uh, Iraqi uh, war veterans are, are living with PTS. So I think it's important for employers to understand what PTS is, how it impacts people, and by gosh, you know, just just we 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 certainly cannot overlook the impact on the veteran community because it has certainly been disproportionate. But understand that PTS is not only a veterans issue, so don't stigmatize veterans with somehow or the other being a, a, a dangerous hire or we don't want to take a chance on that individual. I mean, uh, you know, you hit on it earlier again. You know, there are many people who may be working for you already who have uh, PTS. So understand what it is, understand what it's not, and and, and really I I think we should all work uh, to the extent we can not to discount the importance of it, but discount thinking of it as a disorder and think about it as a natural reaction to the things that trigger uh, post-traumatic stress in the first place. So anyway, like I have a little bit of passion on that topic, Joyce, but um, I think one of the best things employers can do is to, you know, just understand that it's a natural reaction to stress. And there are many things that, uh, believe me, a veteran will tell you if they need time away from the office, if they need uh, to take a break. You know, many veterans may, uh, there may be a, an anniversary of a situation that they may have faced in combat where they have lost some of their fellow comrades. I've had veterans tell me I have an anniversary date that I'm going to need to take some time off from work. Uh, you know, I don't think that's an undue burden on most employers to be able to accommodate that. Most of the accommodations that veterans will, will seek uh, to help them deal with and, and live with post-traumatic stress are not undue burdens on employers. You know, um, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, it is shameful we even have to talk about this. It is really shit. Here people will go, <clears throat> veterans, to fight for our freedom, don't know us, don't know us personally. They have a traumatic experience, and they come back with PTS, and guess what? They can't get a job? That is shameful. That's terrible. It's like I just interviewed a veteran 
this last week, and I'm going to tell you, I've been doing this since 1995, and I would put him the top three people I've ever interviewed, ever. And uh, when he was in Iraq in the helicopter, he was the first responder. So needless to say, for any of us, that's a traumatic experience. And that I'm having to help market him because he can't find something is absolutely just shameful. And as David said, that other point, I tell this to companies all the time. If you've been in a terrible automobile accident and, and yourself or saw one of your family killed in that accident or uh, mm-hmm. domestic violence or a shooting and you saw family members or friends that were killed or just as David said, things that can go out, go on on the street or sexual assault, I could go on and on. But guess what? They have the same disability. Same mm-hmm. thing. And there are also veterans. It's just they're not telling you. That's why when companies mm-hmm. say to me, oh, Joyce, so glad we met you. Now we're going to start hiring people with disabilities. And I say, hold it, hold it. You already have. Yeah, they have PTS. They have uh, bipolar disorder, epilepsy, MS, depression. I could go on and on. But guess what? They're not telling you. The question you need to ask yourself is why aren't they telling you? So uh, the same thing here. And, you know, if you're listening to the show and if you know this impacts someone, please remember, you can listen to this show on demand. Go to my website. Go to Voice uh, America. Tell someone else about this show if you believe it's going to make a difference. And David, thank you for sharing that with us. I know uh, that it's very important to you, so thank you. And here you you are, here you are. You know my feeling about you. Uh, You're just a wonderful person and, and so passionate about so many things. And just, I would say, just a good man. So everyone is impacted by someone or whether it's personal life, historic, I don't care what it is, that that has helped shape them. So my question for you is, who is your role model? Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, Joyce, I have been incredibly blessed over the 49 years I've been alive, alive soon to be 50 in a couple of weeks. I have been incredibly blessed to have been surrounded by a number of people who have helped me stay on the right path and earlier in life where I could have easily have gone down the wrong path given the environment I was in. But um, I would say as far as a role model, I, w- I would have to say there's two. And, and I would say they are my parents. Uh, my parents both passed away within eight months of each other uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, I think what I learned from my father, who was 6'6", six, six, and, and just larger than life whenever he walked into a room, uh, you, you pretty much knew he was in the room. He had that kind of personality. I think what he taught me was the value of hard work. You know, he got up and went to work before the sun rose and many times was still at work uh, when the sun set every day and never complained about it. He, uh, you know, we found out after he passed away, we couldn't find any record of him having completed high school. I don't I'm not even sure he went past the eighth grade, but he did whatever he had to do. And he worked very hard at it to provide for his family. So I think from him, what I appreciate is uh, not being afraid of hard work and understanding the value of hard work. And uh, from my mom, 
who uh, compared to his six six frame was probably about five four five five at at best. Uh, very very quiet, very very soft spoken. What I learned from her was the value of being even keeled. You know, people ask me all the time. You know, David, I don't really see you getting super anxious about things or super excited. And I think they see where my passion comes from, but I don't let things jar me too easily. I try to stay fairly even keeled, and I got that from my mother. And she she didn't talk much. Again, my father took up most of the oxygen in the room when he was in the room with her. But when she said something, it was extremely valuable and extremely meaningful, and I think I've tried to model that uh, from her as well. So I, I would say those two, Joyce, and that's what I've taken away from both of them. Wow. Well, they they did a great job with you, David. They did oh, a great job. And you have accomplished already at your 49 years so much in your life. Uh, but if you had to go back through that, what, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Wow. Um, and again, I think that I've been blessed to, to be exposed to a lot of things in my life you know, from military service and just being exposed to many different kinds of people over the course of my life. But uh, I'm going to sound maybe a little cheesy here, but I'm going to have to go down the road of, I think one of my greatest accomplishments is uh, being married uh, to to the woman I am married to. We've been together since we were 16 years old, and uh, we have three uh, young adults now uh, as children, uh, three children who are young adults, I guess is a better way to say that. And I think for me, Joyce, uh, I, I feel like one of my greatest accomplishments is all three of them are, are a little bit different. They all have unique personalities and, and unique uh, things that they like or don't like, but all three of them are committed to leaving this world a better place than it would be without them or leaving it a better place uh, once they're gone. And as a parent, you certainly cannot ask for more. So I think for me, one of my greatest accomplishments or one of the things I'm most proud of is uh, in partnership with my wife, raising three young adults who are committed to making this a better place than, than it would have been otherwise. Well, I don't think that's cheesy. I think that's wonderful. Boy, if your <laughs> wife's listening to this show, you're gonna, she is going to be a very happy person, David. I'd make sure she I'll goes take- back and hears this show. I do. I do mean every word of it. And and believe me, Joyce, if she's not listening, I'll make sure she gets the link. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somehow I knew you were going to say that. And um, and, and, yeah, you're going to come home to that delicious dinner once she hears this show. So I do um, mean what, what what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? You know, I'm going to go back to a couple of things. Uh, again, Joyce, I'm going to go back to a Joyceism that I love. And it's no pity, just paychecks. I mean, you know, people with disabilities, and, and another Joyceism related to that is that people with disabilities are not looking for a handout, they're looking for a hand up. And that's something you say quite often, that I quote you quite often. And I, I really think that's at the heart of the matter. This is not about, you know, making exceptions or, or you know, giving people a handout. It's about giving people who have been disenfranchised a hand up. And and lastly, I'll just say that the word disability, and I say this quite frequently, the word disability has 10 letters. So isn't it odd that we spend so much time and overemphasize the first three instead of the last seven? If we spent more time focused on the last seven letters of the word disability as as, as opposed to the first three, how powerful would that be? So so I think those would be my parting words, Joyce. 
Well, great parting words they are. Well, we went every show, we end with a quote. And today the quote is from Nelson Mandela, who said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away without listening. Next week, don't go away without telling everyone about it. See you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.